This is your host, Michelle, and you're listening to Old TV with a New Twist. Let's see what classic television show we're watching and talking about this month. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 56 of Old TV with a New Twist. Today, I am welcoming a first-time co-host with me, my friend Emily. How are you, Emily? Oh, I'm doing fine today, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing good. Are you happy to be here? I am super excited <laughs> to be here. I've always wanted to be on a podcast, especially talking about old stuff. I'm glad you said that because we're going to talk today about Dark Shadows, which is a classic gothic soap opera. And two of those words made me think of you, classic and gothic. This is probably my most requested show, but I was nervous about tackling it. And I'm like, I have to wait until I get the perfect co-host. And then you came along. And I was correct because you have tackled this with such enthusiasm. Yes, it's absolutely fantastic. I'm someone I love gothic literature. Like my favorite book ever is Wuthering Heights. I read it every autumn. I love stuff like Jane Eyre, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I love old universal horror movies. So Dark Shadows was absolutely right up my alley. But had you ever seen this show before? No. I actually didn't know about Dark Shadows till the Tim Burton movie came out. I remember <laughs> when that like the trailer dropped and I'm just like, what the heck is this? And um, I asked my grandmother about it. And actually last night I called my grandmother because I found out she used to watch it. And my grandmother's all like, it was just different from anything else on TV. You know, you had your run-of-the-mill soap operas, and she said she never really liked those. They're all about the same thing. But Dark Shadows, you could never tell what was going to happen next. And has that been your experience watching it? 100%. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. I've actually watched more episodes than what we're doing for this podcast. I ended up watching the two movies that came out in the early 70s. Um, and I've seen the Tim Burton movie, which... Oh boy, we'll get to later. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. I, when it started, I was five years old. So obviously I didn't watch it, but it ended when I was 10. So maybe like for the last two or three years, came on at three o'clock in the afternoon, I'd come home from school and put it on. Well, soon I wasn't able to sleep at night. <laughs> and my mom's like, that's it. You're not watching Dark Shadows anymore. Because I always thought there were ghosts coming out of the fireplace and the pictures on the wall oh and everything gosh. so i got forbidden from watching it anymore childhood trauma <laughs> yeah <dark> so shadows. <laughs> that's my memory so it ran for five seasons july 27th 1966 through may of 1971 and there was 1245 episodes 
or 1,225 episodes, depending on what. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think Wikipedia has a different number than IMDb. It's like, okay, whatever. It's somewhere in between that. It's a lot of episodes. It's a lot because it's a soap opera. It came on every day. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's not like a mini series where there was a planned beginning, middle, and end. They literally made so much of it up as it went along. I mean, even Barnabas was not supposed to be as prominent a figure as he was. He no. was originally just going to be a kind of a heavy of the week and they were going to stake him and throw him <laughs> out. And he ended up becoming this runaway hit of a character. Yeah. So this whole show is the brainchild of one man, Dan Curtis. And everything in the whole Dark Shadows universe for the past 50 plus years is all because of Dan Curtis. And it started because he had a dream. Literally, literally woke up one night and told his wife, I just had this dream about this girl on a train. And then she gets off at this dark depot and then he woke up. Yep. And so the whole story began with Victoria Winters on a train. And she does that incredible voiceover. My name is Victoria Winters. Yes. And that lives rent free in my head. It just does. It sets the tone for the show. Yeah, it feels very Jane Eyre. And I think her character was based on Jane Eyre, too. Yeah. You know, she's basically the governess. She's kind of this very meek character encountering all these weird people in their spooky house. <laughs> well, she is going to be the governess to a 10-year-old boy. She is traveling to, now listen closely, people. She's traveling to Collinsport, Maine, to be employed by the Collins family in a mysterious old mansion called Collinwood. <laughs> wow. So. Say that three times really fast. <laughs> so they're a prominent family. They're also a hot mess of a family. They are a mess. So let's start off by talking about the characters and the actors who played them. Yes. Obviously, we have to start with Elizabeth Collins Stoddard. Joan Bennett, you know a lot about old stars and all. Tell me a little bit about Joan Bennett's career and answer this question. Is Joan Bennett slumming here doing this show? You know, I asked my grandmother that last <laughs> night, and she said, well, at that point in her career, she was past her peak. And this is someone who's been in the business since childhood. A lot of Joan Bennett's early credits are in silent movies, but she doesn't become a star in her own right until the talkies hit. The earliest mo like movie where she's kind of a featured player would be Bulldog Drummond with Ronald Coleman, and that's a very fun, pulpy, campy movie. And she's a blonde in it, too, which is weird. Oh, wow. But by the 50s, I think she started working more in television. And I think to a lot of people in the 60s and 70s, she was probably more associated with the Elizabeth Collins character on Dark Shadows. I'm not sure if I'd call it slumming, but she doesn't really get a lot of meat to work with. She mostly stands around with these elaborate hair pieces on her head <laughs> and complaining about either her daughters or all these annoying men. Yeah. So yeah, this is the people who live at Collinwood. It's Elizabeth Collins Stoddard, who is a not slumming Joan Bennett, we have decided. <laughs> okay, the next character is her daughter, Carolyn Stoddard, who was played by Nancy Barrett. And I think this was Emily's favorite character. <laughs> She's very, very ex exhausting to me. I think the character, though, does have her fans from what I've seen online. Maybe she gets better. Well, she was beautiful. She was a good Gorgeous. looking girl in the 60s in this time. Yeah. You know, the character, or at least the actress, she originally auditioned for Victoria Winters, but she decided Victoria was boring. She was right. And she's right compared <laughs> to Carolyn, who's a hot mess in the in the true Collins fashion. She's a hot mess. And as much as she gets on my nerves, you know, you're never bored watching her. That's for sure. Um, the next character would be Elizabeth's brother, Roger Collins. He's played by Lewis Edmonds. And... I just remember Lewis Edmonds because he played 
Langley Wallingford the third on all my children, <laughs> which <I laughs> many years watched. later. Yeah, <laughs> many years later. And then his son, David Collins, was played by David Hennessy. David was a brat. That's why they go through governesses really quickly because he's he's always scaring them and doing all this kind of stuff. Running off to old houses to talk to ghosts. Um, then Victoria Winters, who was played by Alexandra Mulkey. I don't think she was terribly interested in the show after a while, because really all Victoria has to do is to look worried or to scold the other characters for being a hot mess. So, <laughs> um, And then not living there, of course, we have Maggie Evans, who works at the Blue Whale, who is that's the restaurant that's pl she's played by Catherine Lee Scott. Yes. And then Willie Loomis, who is a very pivotal character in the episodes we watched. Yes. And then, of course, would you consider the star of the show Jonathan Frid, who plays Barnabas Collins? He is like the best thing in it. So, <laughs> yes, uh, Jonathan Frid, he was mainly a stage actor. He had uh, origins in Shakespearean roles. He was very proud of appearing in Much Ado About Nothing with Katherine Hepburn. But he did tons of stage work and pretty much returned to it when Dark Shadows ended. He wasn't really interested in being a movie star or being typecast as a vampire. Yeah, but he was. He, yeah, he was. I think after this, he had a pretty good career leading up to it, but I guarantee he's only remembered for being Barnabas. <laughs> I know. Like the moment the show ended, he immediately ran to the theater and he was doing like non supernatural roles, you know, murder in the cathedral, wait until dark. In the 80s, he went and did a production of Arsenic and Old Lace. But, you know, he wasn't totally dismissive of Dark Shadows. You can get that impression from interviews where he's like, oh, the dialogue's absurd and I don't get any time to learn my lines, which you can certainly tell on the Ooh, show. We're going to talk about that. You can make a drinking game with the amount of times people flub their lines. Mm -hmm. But I think he came to embrace it a bit more later. He would appear at conventions for fans. Um, we watched episodes 210 to 213 which is basically when barnabas collins arrives yes and then we watched episode 250 to 255 which is barnabas really really wants a girlfriend and what better way to do it than kidnapping and brainwashing he goes with the james stewart vertigo method of getting yourself a girlfriend yes so because obviously th this is episode 200 there's already been 190 oh, yeah. something episodes before this so how did we get here Dan Curtis, the creator of the show, according to him, when the show went on the air, nobody was watching it. And he was told by ABC that it's not going to be renewed. And he goes, well, look, let me try and pick up some more viewers. Let me really take the lid off. And his daughters were like, dad, make it scary. So that's when he decided to have some ghosts and all. And his writers warned him, once you go supernatural, you can't go back. And once those supernatural elements were introduced, Dark Shadows became the most popular show on ABC Daytime the laws of diminishing returns you have to always keep bringing them more make it more insane every time make it more insane and therein <laughs> comes a vampire into the mix yes barnabas <laughs> well let me ask you this okay now if we need to have a drinking word for this podcast the word you think you and i are going to say the most <laughs> what do you think it's going to be uh maggie no i had barnabas oh wow <laughs> see i'm a combo breaker you said most of the time people do the same yes yeah. Maggie Evans. My name is <laughs> Maggie Evans. Your name is Josette. <laughs> no, it's Maggie. It's such a crude, common name. <laughs> Isn't that hysterical? Okay, we're going to get to that. That's actually in the second set of uh, episodes we watched. Yes, it is. That's... But the first set is all about Barnabas. So let's get to it. Okay. First of all, I love 
the voiceovers that this show starts with. I think it sets the tone, which is overall gloomy. But once again, she starts with, my name is Victoria Winters. And she talks about some men are going to desecrate sacred ground and violate that which should remain sealed forever. Oh, my. Yes. So hmm. in other words, somebody is about to release a 175-year-old vampire from his coffin. <laughs> oh, no. What a joy. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got Collinwood. And we learned that Willie Loomis and Jason McGuire are house guests there. So, but the main thing here is there is a portrait hanging on the wall in Collinwood. Of the young man, right? Of the <laughs> they keep calling him a young man. Young, and I'm like, young. um, I mean, maybe young compared to what an actual 175-year-old would look like. <laughs> he looks pretty good for his age. Yeah. But there's this picture of this man, and he's their ancestor named Barnabas Collins. And he's wearing all manner of jewels, apparently a ring, a very, very uh, expensive ring with a big black onyx, and he's got a, a cane with a gold head on it and and the legend is that all the family jewels are kept in the family crypt where all the family members are buried so willie loomis has ideas yeah and willie loomis he's this little scuzzy character if you really get a very vivid sense of who willie is just from the way the other characters talk about him they're all disgusted he's sleazy <laughs> they hate him yeah he's like a little rat in human form just running about <laughs> apparently he was all like just weird and they just don't want him around, but they don't know where he is. But he decides, I'm going to leave with all these jewels. So he's in the crypt, but he finds a coffin that is chained shut. I would not be messing with that one. Yeah, he <laughs> ends up, it's a secret passage behind one of the walls and you see a coffin that's chained up maybe he thought something like oh this was anti-burglar technology <laughs> to make sure i couldn't get the jewels he's not thinking ancient curses or anything like that and did you notice you know how you you're mentioning like jane eyre and wuthering heights all their plot lines are taken from all those different all the ones you mentioned were mm -hmm. in some of the trivia that i read here's another one the telltale heart did you notice the heart yes <laughs> <laughs> yep. The, if I was in a crypt and I started hearing a heartbeat, I'd be like, okay, the jewels aren't worth it. Yeah. Not worth it. This heartbeat is just getting louder and louder, but he keeps going. He wants those jewels. Well, so what happens when he opens up the um, coffin? Hand comes out and starts strangling him. The hand with the black onyx ring on yes. it. Yes. That's in the portrait. Oh my God. I have to imagine, like, if you were someone who had been one of the few, few people who had been watching the show up to that point, that must have been like, insane because i think up to that point from what i've read the only really super supernatural thing was mentions of josette's ghost yes okay. which is quite different from actual vampire because a, a ghost you can always just assume oh it's in the person's mind kind of like turn of the screw or something like that's that. another one <laughs> but um no when it's a vampire and he's choking you you can't reason that away and the way they staged it and the music it was very melodramatic it oh was... i loved it yeah um, so I, I need to ask you a question. We could say Barnabas, Jonathan, Frid, whatever, because I was back then in the early seventies, they had these tiger beat magazines and 16 magazines and Jonathan Frid was on these magazines, like a romantic figure and, uh, read about all the fan mail he got and marriage proposals. Is he attractive? Do you think? Um, he is not to my taste, particularly. <laughs> I mean, I have weird tastes. Like I think Peter Cushing in the Hammer Frankenstein and Dracula movies was a heartthrob. So I'm not going <laughs> to pretend my taste is normal. But he doesn't really do a lot for me personally. There are certain shots where he can look a bit dashing and brooding, I guess. <laughs> um, 
he wasn't designed to like he wasn't intended to be a hot character was he was that just a thing no. that because like in the beginning they just wanted him to be the heavy they just wanted him to be the villain and he really is when we see what he does later but then, okay but we, there's so much to talk about later okay so here we go he just rings the doorbell at the house he makes his way from the crypt up to the house i do have a question though okay where did he get that suit okay. i assume when he was buried he was not in a 1960s business you know suit well that's what i was thinking too and i'm thinking if he he was buried in that which is unlikely <laughs> unlikely it would be really nasty and musty and he would smell really bad maybe he borrowed everything from willie but willie might have that i thought willie probably gave him something of his because willie we learn is now his his minion his he's, little zombie or whatever he he's is. basically renfield from dracula like exactly. the way renfield was dracula's servant willie is going to be barnabas's servant we're going to take a short break for an announcement and then we will be back to see what happens when barnabas goes to collinwood before we talk about any specific episode, I'd just like to announce that if you are not a member of our Facebook group, please go join. It's called Old TV with a New Twist Podcast Group. And what I do is about a week or two before the podcast drops, I will go in and tell you what show we're going to be podcasting about next, but specifically what episode we're going to be talking about. And I'll tell you exactly where to find it on what platform. I'll even post a link, whether it's Amazon or Hulu or any of the free streaming apps like Dailymotion, Pluto TV, Tubi TV or Crackle TV. I'll let you know exactly where to find it. That way you can go in, watch the episode. And when you listen to the podcast, you can follow along with us scene by scene because you will have seen the episode. And you can find out, did you laugh in the same places we laughed in? Did you not like what we like? Or did you like what we liked? And it'll be kind of fun to follow along. Just wanted to put that announcement out there to let you know that in that Facebook group, you'll have all the information before the podcast drops. And we're back. And we hope you are all already members of our Facebook group. But we are now going to get to Barnabas Collins goes up to the house presents himself at the front door please tell elizabeth it's her cousin barnabas collins your cousin that you don't know about at all and have never heard of well they welcome this man into their home the only thing he has is that he looks exactly like the man in the portrait yes which we hear about a million times it's uncanny look at the resemblance oh the resemblance is so uncanny and it is i mean it is i mean to be fair um, and, you know, back then they didn't have the Internet, so you can't go check this guy up on Facebook or Twitter. Now, Emily, I have to pause for just a second. We're going to address the elephant in the room and we're going to get it out of the way right now. The acting is horrendous <laughs> and oh. the production value is so bad. Back then, television, it's all much more low budget. It's a lot more like live theater, too. A lot of early television was live broadcast. I mean, Dark Shadows wasn't, but they did shoot everything in like one take. So they didn't have time to go back and reshoot things. And as you said, they're messing up their lines, but they did have teleprompters. Yes, they did. And you could see them frantically searching for that teleprompter sometimes. Oh, yeah, you definitely can. Or you can tell when they kind of flub a line or they're searching for the kid actor. <laughs> Oh my God, you can tell he's just saying the lines. He's not really acting it or feeling it. I'm not impressed with any of the acting. I actually really like the guy that was Willie Loomis. I believe his name is John Carlin, you said. I really like, he has this very odd 
presence, but I believe him when he says things. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't he doesn't seem to flub as much and he mm-hmm. just embraces how odd his character is. He's just such an odd little person. Yeah. And going also back to the whole low budget, you can tell it's a set thing. I find that weirdly cozy about old TV. Mm-hmm. But there's something just very relaxing about it. I don't know what to say, but those shows feel cozy to me. Like they're not trying to be miniature movies or anything yeah like, i don't know i did hear that there's a later episode where the set apparently caught on fire at one point and the actors just had to keep going through mm-hmm. the scene oh you can look up the bloopers i don't know if they're all on youtube but there are some fantastic bloopers the things just falling off the walls and boom mics boom mic, and, and you could see cameras in the shot you can see shadows of cameramen yeah it's awesome <laughs> I love to me that's part of the appeal of the show is it has kind of a live theater feel because they had to all do it in one take. It does. It's kind of it is appealing, isn't it? Like it's, to me it doesn't that, turn you off at all. No, the fact that it's not perfect. Like there's just something very entertaining and appealing about that. I really in, I enjoy the flubs yeah, and all that. Yeah. So let's go back to Bar- Barnabas is here now and I'm wondering at this point Two things I'm thinking. How weird is it for him? He's been in that coffin for 175 years, and now he's back in the house. This is where he lived. And that has to be weird to walk in there again with all these people. And my second thought is, and you can comment on both these things, is what is his plan? That is a very good question. What's his Um, plan now that he's here? Well, one thing I find interesting, and they actually do go over this in the Tim Burton movie, is that he appears in this version to have no culture shock. It's like whenever you were buried alive, it was the 18th century. <laughs> this is like the very early parts of the Industrial Revolution and all these things. And now you woke up in the 1960s and the 1960s were especially 1967. You think the summer of love yeah. and all this stuff. And he seems fine. He just fits right in. He just comes right in. And uh, at this point, I'm like, is he a bad guy? Is he a good guy? What is he? What? why is he here and we know he's a vampire and we know vampires need to drink the blood of humans to keep going yes so they say oh watch yourself out at night because several women have been attacked in town oh yeah so we know that's going on and we know it's barnabas they don't know that yet and then there's the old house on the property and that's where barnabas lived most of the time so he winds up living in that old house and he goes there and david's playing in there and he's staring at Josette's picture. Oh, Barnabas. Gosh, yeah. It's like, okay, what is the story with Josette? And David's like, oh, yeah, she's a ghost. She lives here. I see her all the time. I talk to her all the time. My favorite detail is that like, she smells like jasmine, apparently. Yeah. You can smell it and you, you can feel the wind blow. That's how you know she's here. And David is just so matter-of-factly talking about this ghost that he converses with and sees and lives here. And I'm still going to come play here in the dark by myself. Barnabas has now met everybody and they're all talking in the house about Barnabas. And David is the only one that thinks something's kind of fishy about Barnabas. They all think it's great. We've got this long lost relative. David's like, eh, you know, (laughs) something's fishy about him. He looks sad and he looks like he's haunting the rooms instead of just walking through them. Which is a very mature observation for a kid that young. Like, sometimes he talks like someone much older. Um, But none of the adults think anything of this. No, they think, um, well, they're too preoccupied with their own little melodramas between Liz and Jason and Carolyn and the whole versus the world. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Carolyn's mad at the world. But then Barnabas 
is alone in the old house and he's talking to the portrait of Josette. And he says, the chains with which my father have bound me are off. I am free and alive and I'm returned to live the life I never had. He's going to live his best life. Okay. But I'm, you know, I, I wonder if the writers even specifically had a plan for him quite yet. Cause you're like, okay, well, what, he just wants to redo the house. <laughs> see, once you see the 1795 storyline and you see how his life was supposed to play out and how it was cut short, he wants to get that life back, which is why he's trying so desperately to recreate Josette, which is going to bring us to the next set of episodes. Oh, yes. Tell us what happens. Barnabas shows up in those early episodes we he comes across i believe she works at a coffee shop a young woman named maggie evans and get used <laughs> to that name you will hear them repeat it constantly they don't even just call her maggie sometimes they just go maggie evans and barnabas realizes she looks a lot like josette so barnabas being barnabas he's like i'm gonna kidnap her and brainwash her into thinking she's my dead girlfriend <laughs> so literally he goes kidnaps her and he's got her locked up in the old house. She's dressed in these old 18th century clothes. Oh, yeah. She's in Josette's room. She's in Josette's clothes. She's got Josette's music box. Yeah, the music box. You will hate that music box. Yes. <laughs> because he tells her, just listen to it over and over again. I think he thinks that has a, a uh, brainwashing. Like, I think he what thinks it'll it? send her consciousness back. To just, does he think she's the reincarnation? I think he's hoping that and that he, he can like reawake those memories in her and she will be Josette and he'll marry Josette and live in that house the way he always was supposed to. Yeah. So she's kind of fighting the brainwashing because she doesn't want to give up the Maggie Evans identity. And she's like, okay, I have to remember no matter what he does or says, I am Maggie Evans. <laughs> I have a father. I have a life outside of this room. But Barnabas is really intent on making her think she's Josette because he wants his vampire bride. Right. And meanwhile, Willie is sometimes kind of the go-between. Yeah. He's um he's building a coffin for Maggie. <laughs> yes, he's building a Oh, and did you notice in that scene where she she goes down while Willie is building a coffin and Barnabas is like, Yeah, my wife's gonna love this coffin right here. It's gonna look great. Um you side by side coffins. Yeah, you think it would have been matching coffins, but maybe he thought she'd want her own style coffin. Maybe. So does this mean that when he marries her, he's got a killer and she was gonna be lifeless, but not lifeless, not only, wait, he said not only be lifeless, but bloodless. So she's got to become like him. Whenever it comes to these kind of plots, I always wonder, okay, well, once you're both vampires, are y'all just going to prey on the town? Are y'all just going to hang out in the house all day? Yeah. But, you know, he, I think beyond that, he just doesn't want to be lonely anymore. He wants to regain what he lost. And his love for Josette has not died. It's a thing. He has a consuming obsessive love for the, Josette. And so she, like you said, she keeps telling herself, I'm, I'm Maggie Evans. Like she don't want to fall to the hypnotizing or whatever he's trying to do. So she's faking like yes. she's, but Barnabas kind of catches on to that. And so does Willie. Actually, one and of my, Willie, yeah. one of my favorite parts is when she's down in the crypt after Barnabas goes. And one thing I wanted to point out before the brick wall, she's leaning against wobbles, <laughs> which I loved. <laughs> But she goes and she tries to pretend to be Josette around Willie because Willie's like, what are you doing down here? And she's like, oh, can I not walk the grounds? And he's like, yeah, whatever, Maggie. And she goes, oh, my name's Josette. And he's like, oh, sorry, Josette. I think Madame Collins would be more appropriate. Yeah. Like, I just I love the way she's trying to pull it over on him. But Willie sees through it. And 
this is something I love about Willie. Even though he starts out as this sleazy, greedy guy, he actually does care about Maggie. He's trying to protect her. Yeah. He is trying to protect her, even though he's like, you know, we can't fight Barnabas. We're both under his power. And as long as he's alive, we may as well just do what he says, because otherwise he'll just kill you. And Maggie's like, she does not want to go down without a fight. Yeah. Yeah. And but the thing is, Barnabas overhears her and finds out she's faking. So he throws her down in this locked room. Oh, I'm going to lock you in the timeout corner in the basement. <laughs> yeah. And uh, decide what I'm going to do with you. So this is my favorite exchange because she's laying in this, this room, locked this locked room down in the basement. And Barnabas comes in and he says, I've made my decision. She said, what is it? He goes, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> just just like that i'm gonna kill you and my husband and i started cracking up laughing because it's just so silly he's so blunt and he's... she's like no it was just funny so that's kind of what's happening there he's got her trapped in the basement and everybody's looking for her they don't know what's happened up, to her but a lot of people suspect she's dead yeah so meanwhile over at collinwood elizabeth is gonna marry jason mcguire the creep what <laughs> And because of this, Carolyn is acting a fool. Oh, yeah. Carolyn gets really mad. And I actually empathize at first because she's like, Mom, I know you don't love him. She knows something's up. I, you don't even like him. Yeah. Why are you marrying him? And Liz is the worst liar in the world. She's just like, oh, I adore him. Of course <laughs> I love him. And Carolyn wants her mother to be honest with her. And her mother won't. So she decides, I'm going to live my own life. Especially because Liz tells her, well, you're not doing anything with your life. You're just sitting around criticizing me the this greatest... ushers in emily's favorite character ever what's his name buzz the biker buzz the beatnik biker <laughs> he is the greatest character in all of fiction when he shows up i was just my jaw dropped it is great <laughs> he's got like a goatee he wears a leather jacket with all these chains on it sunglasses he's supposed to be this bad boy biker he's honestly not that bad Really, when you actually examine what he does on the show, compared to Jason and Barnabas and Willie, he's probably got the cleanest slate of the whole <laughs> bunch. But it's so funny. Like everybody else reacts like, oh, my God, this monster. Yeah. I kind of appreciate what Carolyn's doing because she's showing her mom what her mom's doing. Yes. You're marrying this unsavory character. And Jason just wants the money. Yeah. So the episodes end where Maggie encounters the little girl. Yes. That is the ghost of Sarah Collins. That's Barnabas's little sister. Okay, from, yeah. From back in the day. And this little girl's just tossing a ball around and London, London Bridges. I hate that song now, by the way. And I'm like, God, she just sings it so much that you get a headache. But she is creepy. Yeah. And, and Maggie thinks she's going out of her mind. It's like, oh, my God, where'd this kid come well, from? Maggie thinks this little girl's real at first because she's like, go get some money. Tell them I'm here. Tell them I'm here. I'm like, Maggie, you can't tell that's a ghost. Come on, girl. Look what, how she's dressed. So it is a soap opera. So we're not going to wrap up any stories here. No. It's ongoing. Do you think they do a good enough job with wanting to keep people tuned in? Yes. Part of my morning routine now, I get up extremely early. I get up around five o'clock. That offends some people, by the way, but we won't go oh. any further. <laughs> That's just when I wake up. I can't help it. And I will put on Dark Shadows and watch like two or three episodes yeah. with my coffee in the morning. It's really addictive because I'm not a big soap opera person. I think the last time I tried watching a soap opera was with my mom. 
And I mm-hmm. just remembered finding it really slow. And eventually it got to the point where it's like, okay, are y'all going to stop flashing back or talking about what you did the last time? <laughs> and there is a bit of that in Dark yeah. Shadows. But to me, Dark Shadows, the characters are just very interesting. Even mm-hmm. Carolyn, who annoys me, she's an interesting character. And obviously Barnabas, sure. Willie, I don't know. And of course, I love the gothic stuff. And the fact that just things keep getting weirder and weirder. I I enjoy the weird factor. I do too. So let's give our overall thoughts on the show. I love it. I love the the melodrama. Me too. It's very melodramatic. It's remembered for the supernatural things mostly. But it also had its share of everything else. Like with the intrigue and somebody being blackmailed. And then there's there's romance. I feel like it had everything. But set in this gloomy thing which was just unique like you said it's not your basic soap opera i don't know i and the characters are just so enjoyable too like even though yeah the actors flub lines and stuff i think most of them do a decent job embodying those characters especially you know jonathan frid and john carlin mm-hmm. they, they were very good very very good okay we're gonna take a sh- another short break and we'll be back to talk about some fun facts and trivia and follow-up movies and all kind of fun stuff we'll be right back And we're back. And before we move on to our other little details and facts and fun things, is there anything in your notes about the episode that we haven't covered? Yes, there was one thing. I find it very interesting because whenever I had heard about Barnabas Collins, my impression of him before I actually watched the show was that he's more of an anti-hero. Like he's the reluctant vampire that doesn't want to be a vampire. He feels guilty about being a vampire. And it was interesting to me how villainous he is in his early appearances, especially with Maggie trying to gaslight and brainwash her. Like, he is very cruel. I actually think trying to brainwash her and basically cut her off from her old life by making her her family think she's dead. Yeah. So she has no other option but to become the embodiment of his fantasy, of his desires. I think that is way more evil than biting people in the neck. Right. There's something just really uncomfortable and awful about that in ways that I can't fully articulate. Yeah, but this ties into something you said. He was supposed to just be on for a short time. But when this story really took off and the popularity of the character of Barnabas and Jonathan Fred as the actor took off, then they were like, we got to keep him around, but we can't keep him around as this bad guy. So what they did was they started kind of turning that story to make him that reluctant vampire, the vampire with a conscience. He doesn't want to be this way. He doesn't want to hurt people. They bring in Dr. Julia Hoffman, who is a doctor who's going to try to cure him of his vampirism. And in the process, Julia Hoffman's going to fall in love with him. It's going to be this whole big thing. But they will totally change this around to where he is not the bad guy anymore. So let me ask you, who's your favorite character? You might be surprised. It's Willie Loomis. (laughs) And I just like how dynamic he is. Like he goes from being this sleazy little minor antagonist character to being someone way more sympathetic. It's almost like his experience with Barnabas has made him a bit more compassionate towards other people. That is true. My favorite character was Buzz the Biker. No. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest character ever. Ever, ever. I kind of didn't have one because you know why? It's so weird that I look at this as such an ensemble. It is. You would think when you see that opening and you hear my name is Victoria Winters that she would be a way more prominent figure prominent figure in this and she's like she's boring she's just not in it but it was hard for me to to pull a character out of something that I felt was such an ensemble but you know what now that you say that about Willie I think that's the character we saw the most of an arc 
So I'm going to copy off of you and say, I really like Willie. Oh, yay. Okay, here we go. Overall rating. What do you rate the show on a scale of one to 10? And I don't need to ask you this. How much of a chance that you're going to watch again? You're already watching. I'm already watching it. I'm already in too deep. I've been dragged under. <laughs> this is the first time I've literally had someone I assigned a show to and they watched way more than they needed to. No, it's great. I, it's very rare for me to get into TV shows. I, like I said, I'm more of a movie person because so many TV shows have broken my heart where you start watching the first two, three seasons are good. And then I lose interest. That was, it was like that with like Downton Abbey for me. I liked the first two seasons. Shame on you. I know I'm a criminal. I'm a heretic. Burning Downton at the stake. Abbey. What? That's just me. Yeah. I have commitment issues with television, but I love this. This is great. Okay, cool. Okay. So on a scale of one to 10, um, I gave it an eight. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I think it's very, very good. Obviously, it's not Shakespeare. It's not mm -hmm. high art, but it is very entertaining. Entertaining. Like, I was never bored. Even when they're flubbing lines, even when pieces of the set are falling down or wobbling, <laughs> I loved it. That makes it better. So we're going to talk about a little trivia now. Do you know the other name that they had for this show that they almost called it? Shadows on the Wall? Shadows on the Wall was the one most people wanted. And Dan was like, no. See, I actually think that may have been a better title. You think? It just feels more evocative to me. Shadows but... on the wall. Yeah. And and we talked about the, the flubbing up their lines. David, you said there was a point when David says he's trying to say something at sunrise, when the water, when the ocean, I mean, when the sun. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, come on, David, get a hold of those lines. And then Maggie's dad calls oh Barnabas Conrad. <laughs> He's like Barnabas Conrad. Uh, no, uh, uh, Barnabas Collins. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that actor because I've been reading Dark Shadows blogs now. Um, I know, I know, I'm nerdy. <laughs> no, I think that actor was an alcoholic though, so he already had a hard time memorizing lines, and he's almost always looking at the teleprompter. No, do you know who he married in real life? Who? You're not gonna believe this. He married the actress who plays Carolyn what <laughs> are you joking look it up was this like a vegas wedding what <laughs> he she, he looks like her father yes oh my god picture those two did they stay together no i think it lasted a couple of years apparently the actress who plays carolyn is just a, a much a rebel <laughs> as she is on the show because she she's did like i'm gonna marry this man who looks like my dad i, I heard her say she loved the carolyn character because she's like you know she's a lot like me she you know she has too much attitude and too much hair or something like that there you go um oh this is what i want to say he said it's a love story that spans time Dan Curtis. That's because he employed one of my favorite TV tropes, which is time travel. I love it. And he did it beautifully and very originally. There will be eight time travel storylines. The most popular one, obviously, is the 1795 storyline, because that's going to go back and tell you Barnabas's whole story. There's also timelines in 1796, 1897, 1840, 1841, 1692, 1949. And then they go to the future they go to 1995 at some point oh my god and it's all the collins family in all these different times and the actors who play in it now are going to go back like elizabeth collins joan bennett is going to play naomi yes, yes. so they're all going to be different except for barnabas he's always barnabas i think he plays bramwell collins at some point but they take these same core actors and they put them in the different roles so it's fascinating that he did it and he pulled it off I'll never forget because I used to watch the Dark Shadows conventions. Yes. 
30, 40, 50 years later, all these actors are still going to these conventions and they have fans, new generations of people. And Conrad Bain, he played like an innkeeper. And at one of the conventions he was talking, he said, I got the weirdest call from Dan Curtis. He called me and said, has the werewolf eaten you yet? <laughs> and he said, no, I don't think so. Okay, good. We want you to come back. <laughs> oh my God. That's great. We, we want that vampire to eat you. Confirmed. They stole stories from Turn of the Screw, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Frankenstein, Dracula, The Portrait of Dorian Gray, Jane Eyre, Pride and Prejudice, Rebecca, The Maltese Falcon, The House of Seven Gables, Pygmalion, The Telltale Heart, The Time Machines, Wuthering Height. So much so that a fan wrote in saying, you don't have a staff of writers, you have a den of thieves. Oh my gosh. And you named almost all those stories. Yeah, I, I devour gothic literature. And stuff like that. I think it was T.S. Eliot who said, great poets steal, yeah. you know, like, because you do take things from the past that have influenced you mm -hmm. and you recreate them in new ways. You I don't call it stealing. I call it being inspired by. Yeah, it's being yeah. influenced by. Exactly. It. But it's not stealing. I don't think so. No. And but that's how creativity they can works. take influences. Exactly. You're interacting with the past. You're not stealing or copying. Now, there will be a, a character later on named Quentin Collins. Yes. Now, Quentin is hot. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, I looked at pictures of him. I was like, oh, my God. This is the one that's hot. This is the one that's no hot. No offense to Jonathan Fred or Barnabas. <laughs> but the, the character of Quentin was, was created at the request of Jonathan Fred. He, he asked that a second villain be brought in to lighten his workload. Yeah. Because he would, too many lines, too much is like, I, I need somebody to come in and, and help me out. So they created Quentin Collins. So Quentin's like a villain. He's a vampire. He's a werewolf. Yeah, I knew he was a werewolf, but I, not all werewolves are necessarily villainous, I right, suppose. Right. So. He, he looks like Quentin most of the time, but then he'll, at night or whenever, he'd feed him after midnight. I don't know, like a gremlin. <laughs> he's a gremlin too. <laughs> he, he, he turns into a werewolf. So I'm sure one of the Collins is probably a gremlin. The exterior of Collinwood that they show when it comes yeah. on, you know, that is in Newport, Rhode Island, and it's called Seaview Terrace. So, and, and this is just, I always save the most important trivia for last. That black onyx ring that Barnabas was wearing yes. was purchased from Woolworth, and it had a green plastic stone that the prop department painted black. Oh my God. <laughs> That's just a small step up from getting it out of the Cracker Jack box. Exactly. So do you have any interesting facts? Yes, I did. Uh find a few things i was going through one of my favorite websites is archive.org they have tons of old magazines and stuff uploaded there i love reading like the old hollywood magazines and stuff there was a magazine back in the 60s called the famous monsters of Filmland, and they talked you know mainly about like old school horror movies but they did talk about dark shadows as well because it falls under that horror canopy technically even though it's more of a melodrama right and one thing i found interesting they said frid would get over two thousand letters of fan mail a week he was a heartthrob in fact i think he went on like a tour like i think it was like a 10 city tour and like just thousands of people would crowd in the streets to get a glimpse of him like he said it was almost like getting to be one of the beatles people went nuts yeah i don't see it <laughs> yeah i mean he's <laughs> not for me but um yeah i found out none of the characters actually call barnabas a vampire until episode 410 because when even in the episodes we were watching they always call him something horrible or the undead or a monster they don't call him a vampire though nobody says the v word oh okay 
Oh, and then there was a lot of interesting stuff about the Barnabas portrait. So I found out the portrait was done before they cast the role. They painted everything in the portrait but his face. And the moment Fred got cast, okay, just fill in the face. <laughs> and, you know, the other day we were at work and you said, I wonder whatever happened to that portrait because it's so prominent in the show. Sure. So I looked it up and apparently it's lost. <gasps> the show ended and the portrait disappeared. Nobody knows whatever became of it. It's possible somebody snatched it and it's in a private collection. I think it's more likely it probably got junked. Yeah. Which is sad, but that's sad. that's the case with a lot of stuff, yeah. you know, from back then. But as for Barnabas's portrait, you know, Fred, I don't think he was terribly sentimental about the role. So I think whenever the show ended, he really was like, yeah, you take whatever. Yeah. You can yeah. have the portrait. Because he said something like he didn't want to be over-identified with the role. He said, you know, I think about Bela Lugosi. Lugosi considered himself a heartthrob, actually. And he mm. was someone who was this very prolific stage actor and stuff like that. But Dracula became basically everything the public associated him with. To the point where he was buried in the cape when he died. Oh, really? Yes. And Fred said he did not want to be like that. He said yeah. he thought that was horrifying. He says, I don't want people to see me as a vampire actor. Well, I think he was unsuccessful. <laughs> he, he was unsuccessful. though. He it did, was just too iconic of, he of escaped, a role. He escaped being typecast in that way you know he like i said he went he did like doing villain roles right. he liked his shakespeare and things yeah. like that you and i were looking at work we were looking at a bunch of stuff on um ebay and they had a, a dark shadows game yes that <laughs> i had when i was young and i remember playing the heck out of that game and it, it was like 200 dollars. 200 yeah it was a 1969 <laughs> board like, game oh, man, why didn't i keep that you were like practically crying I was. you were like oh my god i can't believe they have it i couldn't believe just the amount of merchandise there was there's barnabas the action figure barnabas the lunchbox barnabas ventriloquist dummy you, you yeah you were sitting there you're like oh my god there's a barnabas ventriloquist dummy yeah there was um it's like space falls there's probably barnabas the flamethrower somewhere <laughs> there's blogs it's like you had no trouble going online and finding a ton of information about dark shadows right yes and it's it has a healthy cult following mm -hmm. and i mean 50 over 50 years and going strong okay we're gonna take one last break and we're gonna come back to talk about some spin-off movies oh boy oh boy <laughs> this is scarier than any vampire that's gonna tell you that okay we'll be right back and we're back and we're going to talk about spinoffs. I'm going to list all the different spinoffs and then we're going to talk about them individually. There were two movies that were made. House of Dark Shadows was made in 1970. It was actually at the movie theater. I remember going to see it. Oh my gosh. Um, they filmed it while they were still filming the show. We were filming it simultaneously. And then they booked a sequel, Night of Dark Shadows, the next year, which they started filming that right after the series ended. And then NBC did a 12 episode TV revival in 1991. And I absolutely love it. I gave it to Emily to watch. So she's going to be watching that soon. I hope because it's so good. Then there was a television pilot movie done by the WB that they wanted to be picked up for a series, but it never got picked up. That was in 2004. And then, of course, there's the Dark Shadows movie done by Tim Burton in 2012. Oh, boy. So let's start at the beginning. Okay, first of all, House of Dark Shadows. Yes. You watched that one? Yes, I did. And? Okay, so I think of the three theatrical movies, I think it's the most entertaining. Uh, it's clearly Dan Curtis wanting to do a Hammer Horror movie. 
because you know you said you're not as familiar with those the hammer horror films were groundbreaking in the 50s because they usually had lots of cleavage and lots of blood oh well there was cleavage in this one i remember yep. there was cleavage and tons of very bright red sherwin williams paint blood <laughs> oh yeah that bright red blood and yeah and this it's a lot more violent than the show and and there are just scenes that are really very violent there's a scene where barnabas is beating the hell out of poor willie and i was honestly shocked by how violent it was and yeah like i think it's fun i think it's very entertaining you can get away with a lot more when it's not daytime tv yeah when it's not daytime yeah. tv mm -hmm. Do, but do you think that this movie is terribly friendly towards people who haven't seen the show or who aren't familiar with the show? I think it can stand alone. I think it can. It does a good enough job telling the story on its own. Did you not think so? Or I did you they, feel like if you hadn't seen the show, you wouldn't know what was going I on? I feel like I'd be very confused. They okay. throw a lot of characters on screen at once and they don't really explain or make it clear what the relations between them uh, are. Yeah, maybe so. Because you have that opening scene where everybody's looking for David and it's not quite clear okay who's related to who who's motivated by what necessarily you're right yeah i, I like, never thought about it that way i feel like they kind of simplified the characters more like i think barnabas they kind of brought him back into villain mode and i imagine by that point on the show he was more of the reluctant vampire yeah. he was very likable but i do so. like some of the shots in the movie like i think I don't remember if Dan Curtis directed it or not, but like the shot setups are very interesting. Like when Barnabas first enters the Collinwood house, you get this POV shot. So it's from his perspective and Curtis is delaying your sight of Barnabas's face. So I can just imagine people in the theater in the early seventies going nuts. Like, Oh my God, he's going to be here. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be Barnabas, my love. <laughs> what do you sure. remember uh, what it was like seeing it in the theater? Like, was there a lot of screaming? I read accounts from people who went and saw it and they yeah. said people screamed mm -hmm. and clapped. And yeah. It was like seeing it a was Marvel really movie. good. And it was so exciting because it was characters you already knew. It was all fans of the show, obviously. And it's a big deal. I don't know. Take a show that was really big on TV, Friends. If they came out with a Friends movie, there's people who would be going nuts to see the Friends on the big screen. It was just a big deal for a TV show to make a movie. Especially when you go from that low budget daytime yeah. TV thing to, well, obviously they have a budget And now. you could see the production value was way better. Did you notice, obviously at the end, Barnabas dies. Yes. They stab him with a stake. Our poor boy. Barnabas turns into a bat and flies away. Yep. You noticed that? Yep. I didn't see that. It's like I'm, a Marvel post credits. Almost. I totally <laughs> missed it. He, um, I think Curtis wanted Barnabas to appear in the next movie, but by that point, Fred is like, nope, I'm out of here. It's like, I'm tired. But yeah, like overall, I think the first movie, like, I was never bored. Right. Oh, yeah. It was a good movie. It was a fun vampire movie. Unlike. And let's move on to Night of Dark Shadows from 1971. I have owned this movie on DVD probably for 20 years and have never been able to get through it. I have gotten maybe 15 minutes in and like, this is horrible. I don't even know what's going on. But I gave the DVD to Victoria and said, Victoria? I mean, I'm sorry. My name is Victoria Winters. <laughs> I gave the DVD to Emily and said i'm gonna be impressed even if you just get through it well she watched it this morning tell us what happened emily yeah i have a high tolerance for garbage so <laughs> that's probably how i was able to get through it um so you're saying it's garbage 
Yes. Okay. It's weird. Okay. So it's so weird because on one hand, as a standalone story, because obviously I haven't gotten to Quentin. Right. I haven't gotten to Angelique. In a parallel universe, I can imagine this being a decent ghost movie. Um, because it's about Quentin. He's recently married to a chick named Tracy. And they go and I moved to Colin. It's Collinwood, right? Right. And at first it feels like a redo of Rebecca. If you've ever seen the Hitchcock movie, Rebecca, they even kind of name drop it. They're like, oh, I expect Mrs. Danvers, the creepy housekeeper to show up. And we do get a creepy housekeeper who's played by Grayson Hall, who was Julia Hoffman. Yeah. And yet her name is Carlotta. And she's like the most fashionably dressed housekeeper I've ever seen. <laughs> and it quickly becomes like a ghost thing. Because, I don't know, this will sound really convoluted. I'm trying to make this comprehensible. Quentin finds out he is the reincarnation of, is it Thomas Collins? I don't know. I never got through it. <laughs> okay, he's the reincarnation of one of the Collins from like 1810. He was married to a woman and he was having an affair with Angelique, who was a witch. Imagine this, but like told really horribly and poorly edited. Um, it's very confusing. I often had to pull up Wikipedia to understand what was yeah, going on. I told you, remember Dan Curtis said the editors ripped it to shreds and yeah, it made was, it nonsensical. It was over two hours long originally, and MGM told us, oh. oh, this is too long. Cut out 30 minutes. It may have been a better movie with those 30 minutes. It may have not, but you can tell that it's been truncated. It just felt very badly edited, very incomprehensible. I don't know. I just wasn't that interested in what was going on. I feel like this could have been a decent ghost story. Uh, it just kind of, by the end, I just didn't care. And then the ending is so mean-spirited and stupid. <laughs> so it's just bad. Yeah, like I was just exasperated by the end. It's not worth seeking out. I know there's people who claim the director's cut still exists. It's in a vault somewhere. And I think Warner owns it now. And they're like, oh, Warner should release it. But I'm, maybe that will happen someday. I, I'm not sure if it will necessarily be a better movie. It'll just be a longer bad movie. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> it it'll, it kind of drags. Even at 90 minutes, it drags. I told you. I told you it was going to be bad. Just there's nothing really to it. It's not even entertaining to make fun of as a bad movie. Right. Um. Well, let's move on to Tim Burton's Oh boy, <laughs> Dark Shadows 2012. Now, there's a couple of things I have to specifically ask you. Okay, first of all, I want to point out that in the end of this movie, there's a cameo appearance by four OGs from the Dark yes. Shadows that you watched. Uh, uh, Maggie, Quentin, Angelique, and Barnabas. Yes. Those four actors were there. for Like, if you blinked your eyes, you missed them, though. I think so, they're, like, in two shots. Yeah, so you don't get to see them that often. I looked at this movie... I was glad they were bringing Dark Shadows to a new generation because people didn't know and just maybe were Tim Burton fans or Johnny Depp fans. So they went to see it. And they're like, oh, let me see about this Dark Shadows stuff. So I kind of liked it for that reason. But I know you always said you didn't like it. So give me your opinion of it. But tell me, has your opinion changed now that you know more about Dark Shadows. Yeah, so I yeah, I watched this movie before I ever watched an episode of Dark Shadows. Um, every Halloween, I have a friend, Matt, and I will watch a bunch of horror movies. Some of them good, most of them really bad. So we picked the Dark Shadows movie as one. I, I'm going to say Tim Burton is the director. I find him very hit or miss. And this, I wouldn't call it quite a miss. He's made way worse than this. Right. I found it very middling. I'm going to say as a movie... 
I think the jokes are mostly funny, but none of the other characters get any development. It's just the Barnabas show. Like, they forget about Victoria most of the movie. Oh, yeah, it's Johnny Depp's movie. I read interviews with Tim Burton where he said he was trying to replicate the atmosphere and feel and the tone of the original show where all these silly things are happening, but everything is in earnest. All the characters, you know, they play it seriously, even though it's camp. I don't think he was very successful. Not He's at all. He's too broad. It's And I once again, I don't mind the comedy. I especially love the fish out of water stuff because, yes, Barnabas wouldn't know what a road is. He would probably be disgusted by the early 70s fashions. Burton was like, I wanted this to be a movie about Barnabas connecting with his family and becoming the protector of his family. But the rest of the family is just so lightly sketched out. It feels like the movie needed another draft. It felt like they were more obsessed with making it funny than having it make sense. Yeah. And now that I've watched the show, I kind of just retroactively view it with a bit more contempt. <laughs> I'm not saying they had to make it some serious brooding drama right. or anything, but can you make a movie that stands on its own and makes sense? So, I mean, I probably sound like I hate it. I think it's a wasted opportunity. I feel like the, you know, actually, I wish the movie was more like, have you, have you seen Tim Burton's Batman movies? Yes. I think Roger Ebert once said Batman Returns is about loneliness behind all the goofy superhero stuff it's about characters who are desperately lonely and i wish there was more of that with barnabas in this movie because i think that's barnabas's problem is he wants to recreate the past he mm -hmm. wants to alleviate his loneliness but they just they focus so much on making him a goofy weirdo yeah like he's it's the typical johnny depp weirdo yeah so to wrap it all up you're a new Dark Shadows fan. Yes, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love this thing. It's great. Okay, well, good. I'm so glad you came, Emily. I know you were nervous. I was a little bit nervous, but you know, the more you talk, the better it is. Well, yeah. you were very well prepared and you knew your subject very well. So you shouldn't have been nervous at all. Emily's always interesting to talk to, so I'm glad you came. Oh, thank you so much. And shared all your thoughts and you got to come back again. Oh, I would love to. I'd love to. Well, thanks so much for coming, Emily. Everybody, hope you tune in next month. All right, Emily, say bye. Bye-bye. Bye. This is Michelle, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Old TV with a New Twist. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on your Apple Podcast app. And join our Facebook group, Old TV with a New Twist podcast group. And tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about. And we'll keep you informed of what's to come. We'll be back next month with a whole new episode of Old TV with a New Twist. Music